when you're a new guy, it's something like that. You know, you could change the culture in the firehouse being new just by showing some pride. Culture, as far as rules and SOPs, man, that's that's got to come from the top down. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap number 194. My guest tonight has 25 years in the fire service. He started with eight years federal and then went 17 years ago, joined the Philadelphia Fire Department, assigned to Squad 72, with one of the largest challenge coins I've ever seen in the history of time and space. Uh, special operations for over 10 years. FEMA, Pennsylvania Task Force One, rescue specialist, co-owner of Philly 10 Helmet Training, where he has classes going on and booked as we speak. I first met him in Arkansas at First In, and it is absolutely my honor to have you on as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 194. My brother, welcome. Thank you, Corley. Thank you very much for having me. Very happy to be here. Looking forward to this for a while since he uh, last talked to me about it. Uh, it's going to be a good time, my man. All right. People are chiming in. John McCoy said, let's get scrappy. Joe Gavita said, good evening, all. Excited for another solid scrap. Jeff Eckert is the guest, which I don't think I mentioned the name in the entire intro, which might help. But Jeff Eckert, Philly, uh, 100%. Uh, anything I missed in the intro? Anything you would like to add? No. No, you hit the nail on the head. Solid. That's uh, about all I got to offer Audience, get your questions primed and ready. Uh, it should be a good one. Ta- uh, uh, Kyle is in the chat grabbing your questions, uh, pulling them out. Quick announcements. If you want to be a part of the Vigilantes, go to firehousevigilance.com. Sign up. Be a part of the Cool Kids Club. Get the exclusive swag, exclusive discounts, and exclusive monthly forums. Uh, on to the sponsors. The OG sponsor of the scrap, the original Key Hose, the Hose Experts. Check them out on Facebook, Key Hose, Affordable Drill Towers, home of the Affordable Drill Tower and the Affordable Standpipe Prop, firefighter owned and operated, pump and roll using the Affordable Standpipe Prop. The Affordable Standpipe Prop fits through most classroom doorways for standpipe theory, and then you roll it in the parking lot and pump. It comes with six standpipe valves that can be upgraded to PRVs or customized to whatever you have in your jurisdiction. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. And then, of course, I love Flame Decon. I use the soap every day in my personal shower and at the station, and then first in fire conference, which is where I met Jeff, and so I wanted to mention them. September 14th, 15th, and 16th, Little Rock, Arkansas, First in fire conference, get signed up. It sells out every time. So get signed up if you want to be there. So absolutely. There we go. Sponsors out of the way, bookkeeping out of the way. Here's the crazy part. Yesterday, I'm on duty. And so, like everything happens when you're on duty, right? Absolutely. At the house. At the house. Air conditioner went kaput. So luckily, one of my guys, AC guy, came by, looked at it, said, Hey, it's just a capacitor, no big deal. But it's Memorial Day weekend, so there's no place to get a capacitor. So one second while I kick on this window unit. Because they got hot real quick. Yeah. Well, <laughs> better than my last night. I got threatened by a drug dealer across the street because I honked at him because he was illegally parked. So, tell him to get <laughs> move your ass if you're going to move them drugs. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, just threaten your life. No big deal. Yeah, it's good. Another day in Logan. Uh, all right, brother. We're going to start off with culture change. I love asking the guests what what 
what topics they like to speak about. And you sent a great list, first of all. So thank you for that. But the other thing you said was culture change, specifically people trying to push to be less aggressive. So let's kick it off with that soft, uh, soft toss. Yeah, just, uh, you know, a couple years ago, it seemed to be this big thing. Like, you know, everyone knows the term, like hit it hard from the yard. All of a sudden it starts like sweeping the nation and whoever did this study, this and that. And uh, a big problem I had with it, especially when it was getting pushed in Philadelphia for a very, very short period, was like, you know, the firefighting started here. When did we start listening to, you know, someone else from a laboratory and how to fight fire? And, you know, some things make sense, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, if the fire meets you at the door, heavy fire at the door, the windows, yeah, you're going to knock it down on the steps and work your way in. But this whole just sitting outside, blasting it with water for five, ten minutes, it's it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, so, over something, it just took off. And people just, you know, you, you look at things online, you're watching videos of guys fight fire, and the people chiming in like, oh, look, that guy's not wearing gloves. That guy's not doing this. And it's, I mean, you know, man, it's a dangerous job. Stuff happens. People need you to move fast. You know, should you be wearing your PPE? Sure, but stuff happens. You're not going to stop because you didn't put a glove on like when you're forced to the door. This is what it is, you know? But, uh, uh go for no, it. No, 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 no. There's a lot, lot, lot right there in your answer right there. Uh, first, I'll start with the, like the UL NIST studies and the original slicers and, and, everything that came from that and the whole exterior attack transitional attack and the and the hijacking of the term or the marketing of the term um do you do you feel like it was just a a a branding fiasco at first, i mean the, the hard from the yard yes um the whole like going to something else like uh flow path for example like that's a big thing we're doing tra- we're getting trained on that but that's something we always did anyway like you know the flow path was always there we just didn't call it a flow path right you know what i mean so uh i mean that's a little different than you know we were talking about with the lack of aggression but i i think it fizzled out to be honest with you at least people i talk to i don't know uh many people that are you know hitting hard from the yard no, no, yeah. it definitely had its peak and it, it zenith and then died. And I and I think a lot of people misinterpreted it as saying uh, there was no reason to go interior anymore. When when everybody's saying no, if there's interior fire, you've got to have interior fire streams. You got to have interior fire attack. One hundred percent. You have to pull ceilings. You have to search for victims. I mean, you know, there's times you know it it's in a closet. You know, you got to got to open a closet, open up the ceiling inside the closet, and get to it. Like you know, you, you can't just knock it down. Not to mention. They're not mentioned, you know, in the study, like, what if someone's laying on the floor and you just put in 20,000 gallons of water and, you know, they were alive and now you just drown them. I actually taught a class one time and the person, uh, the chief of this department was telling me they had a new tower ladder and it had dual thousand gallon a minute nozzles on the bucket that they said that that they're just going to stick that into a window and flood the house with water. And it just blew my mind. I'm like, you know, you got wood frame houses here. You're going to cause a collapse. I mean, what yeah. if there's someone in that? You got a very good chance of drowning someone. Like, imagine trying to explain that. You know, Actually, and I, no, no, without a doubt. Smoothbore Cartel, Kyle said, like most research, the information was misconstrued yes. and bastardized. Yeah. Many saw it as an excuse to stay outside until it was safe. 100%. You know, and, and again, like, and, and you, the people that I knew, in our department pushing it, we're always the less than good firefighters. Right. Let's just say, you know what I mean? Those are the only ones that were like, oh, we have to do this. You know, it's a UL study, so it's gospel. 
You know what I mean? And that's what it came down to. And again, once it, it, it fizzled out, no one's, no one's doing it. You know, there are transition attacks, but like I said, to me, a transition attack is you have heavy fire at the front door. You can't get in. It's right. You got to you know, knock it down. The start. Exactly. That's, you know, you just gave it a name now rather than, Hey, I can't get in. I got to knock it down. No, absolutely. I, I like, I like the sentiment. Uh, like most research, the info, yeah, Greg Van Hom said, could this, would this lead to the safety mindset first and not the victim mentality? And I think that's where a lot of people went with it was the safety over victim, our safety in front of the victim safety. Exactly. And I, I say this a lot. Um, this is a dangerous job. And that's why you get a firefighter discount. That's why, like, you know, when we go to the mm. store, they give you a free cup of coffee because it's dangerous. And I've been in, you know, we have a store here. It's called Wawa. I'm not sure if everyone's familiar with it. And the guy's trying to buy my cup of coffee, but you have five roofers behind me who are going to go out on a 100-degree day and rip roof and shingles, you know, put a rubber roof down, all that stuff. Work probably maybe harder than I am if I don't get a job that day. No one's buying their coffee. Someone's trying to buy my coffee because they're like, your job's dangerous and this and that. But it's like, you're trying to make it super, super duper safe. You know, well, you know, it's it's too dangerous for you to go in there. You might get hurt. So that victim's on their own. That's not what it's about. Right on. It's always right been on. about them, not about us. I mean, you want to go home at the end of the day, but, you know, it's a dangerous job. If you try to make it overly safe, then you're just, you're, you're wasting time. And time is one thing we don't have. And I love the analogy of, you know, what would you say? Wawa's? Wawa. Yeah. Just anywhere though. You okay, know okay. I, mean? like, but I, 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 I want to get it right. I want to get it right. But Wawa's, you go to Wawa's. The reason they're buying your coffee is because when they're trapped in there, they expect you to come at great exactly. harm and risk to you. You know what I'm saying? That's the, that's the bond, the promise, the, the, the expectation. That's I, I was teaching a class one time and, uh, it was it, it was rough. I was actually with Eric Dreman, who uh, okay, I'm just speaking yeah. about and the guys and girls. Indianapolis, yeah, yep, great, great guy. I mean, super, super sharp. Okay, uh, explaining to people how uh, you know I want you to go to the roof. And I want you to take three tools. And you know, what, what do you mean? How can you take three tools to the roof? I'm like, all right, well, I'll show you. You know, and I have my ladder belt on, truck belt, but they don't have one. So I'm like, look, you got your air back on. You stick your axe through the you know the seatbelt straps. Here, here's your hook. Put your hook up on the ladder. You got your saw. You got a piece of webbing on it, which they didn't have. I actually tied for them. Throw it on. And the one, you know, firefighter's like, well, I, I can't, I can't put this on. I'm like, what do you mean you can't put it on? I took it. You know, I took my helmet off and I put the saw over my shoulder. What's the problem? I'm like, well, you took your helmet off. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Like, well, you can't, you can't take your helmet off on a fire ground. So I'm like, hold on a second. I bring everyone in and I do that whole state. Like, guys, listen, man, like, it is what it is. You know, you, you, you got to get the roof. You got to open this roof up. If you have to take your helmet off to get the strap over your shoulder, well, then take your helmet off. And it was a huge thing. They were like, well, you can't do that. You just can't do that. And it blew my mind. Wow. But then that's how, you know, uh, pay department, That's that was their mindset. Try to find it here. Uh, scrolling. Sorry, Kyle. Hey, if you can find the thing you typed, it already went away from me. You said about to happen in the, in the mid-90s. Uh, everybody, Kyle Romagus, Mr. Smoothbore Cartel is always combing through your comments and your questions. He pulls out the best ones because as I talk to Jeff or the guest, I can't keep up with the comments. So Kyle pulls them out and he throws them in there. And so anyway, that's what I was talking to when I say throw it in there for me because he made a great point about the safety first. And uh, I was going to elaborate on it, but I wanted to get the quote from him. Pulling back up the notes here. 
Yeah, he said, Kyle said, it's coming. It for sure didn't help, but I don't believe is where it, it didn't originate with the, with the latest UL studies. The me first mentality reared its ugly head in the 90s. And this is Kyle saying that. Not that and the reason I wanted him to put it up there is because I feel like that's about, I, I don't want to, but when EMS infected the fire service and we got this BSI scene safe uh, mentality that is still being touted by, I don't know everywhere, but I have, a, I have an EMS instructor in my area who always says, who's number one on, who's number one on the scene? You are. Because if you get hurt, everybody else, you know, you just add to the problem. And it's like that infection is what I call it into the fire service mentality. What's your thoughts? Uh, as far as EMS, I, I, I can understand it to a degree because uh, like in Philadelphia, we have to ride the ambulance as a firefighter. Uh, once you get 12 years old now, you're now out. Thank God, because it's we get crushed here. Uh, Philadelphia has one of the busiest, if not the busiest EMS systems. The medic units are always number one. It's and it's it's a nightmare. Our paramedics, it's it's two people. They're out there alone. So you pull up on a shooting, and the shooting still the, the shooter is still there. Well, then you know what I mean. What are you going to do? Uh, there's right. a story they told us in the fire academy. Guys, they were strapping a guy on their stretcher who was just shot, and someone came up and said, "Hey, hold on a second. That's my buddy." And then shot him again while he was on the stretcher. Wow. So, you know, when you're putting, you know, if you're just two paramedics, you don't have a gun. You don't have police there yet. You know, it's uh, it, it's nuts. That kind of thing, I can no, kind of yeah. understand. But, you know. And I want to be clear, like, like, absolutely. The mission of the EMS service, I understand that mentality. I understand it. Mm-hmm. From the EMS, like like what you just described. Yeah, from the e- and I'm talking straight EMS standpoint. That's but when it. you're talking rescue, fire rescue, no. the priorities are different because of the gear we have, the environment, the preparation we get to do for that environment, the training that we should be doing for that environment. All of it combined. I, I don't know. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Absolutely. Like on the fire aspect, you know, when I think of can't. It's not because it was too dangerous. Like, it's not that it's dangerous going to any burning building, you know, vacants, whatever. You don't know what it's going to look like on the inside, even if the outside looks pretty good. Can't for me is complete flashover. You know, I can't get in that window to do a search because that room is completely flashed over. You, you're going to, it don't matter how brave you are. If you jump in a completely flashed over room, you're dead. And that's just yeah. common sense. Right, right. That's what I look at. Can't, you know, you show up, you got heavy smoke coming from the windows and you force entry and it doesn't flash in your face and you can, you know, it's tenable for you. You're not getting burned through your gear because it's that hot. Then you get in there and do a search. Is it dangerous? 100% it's dangerous. You can't see nothing. The building's on fire, but that's your job. You swore that oath for that job. Right on, man. Right on. Uh, no, and I love the, the, it's a flat, man. One of my, one of my company officers went to firehouse and I, I want to, credit the instructor who said it but the go no go on a ves which i'd never heard before until he came back he says can i can i isolate the room before it flashes that's the go no go for him at the window can i isolate the room before it flashes which goes along with what you're saying has it flashed then i want to search it you know and so go ahead let me hear it no it's just you know it, and, and that's you know obviously you know you hear v- vent enter isolate search right but uh a great christian short from Baltimore, when I worked with him, he was, uh, I was actually teaching for Central. He was initially doing Ben and Research. And whenever I do like one of Ryan McCormick's classes, or if I'm with other instructors from other areas, if I get a chance, I make it a priority to try and take their class 
So I'll go and I made it a point to do Christian Schwartz event and her search class. And I just went in as a student. I was like, don't, I'm, I'm just here as a student, man. I'm going to do everything that your students are going to do. And he brought up great points. And we have the same problems here in Philadelphia as I'm sure everyone else does. What if there is no door in the bedroom? Right. You know, what if it's just, you know, a sheet I've seen it. I said, everyone should, you know, go in there. It's a sheet tack up. But you know, there's someone in there. Most of the time, the men under search, there's a pro- you know, high probability that someone's in there. So are you still going to go? You know, oh, it's tough. that's that's the things you got to think about. You know, you can't always rely on there even being doors in this house. So if you get there and the room's full of smoke at that, is it because the door's open or is it because there is no door at all? Right. So once you take that window, well, you just opened up a can of worms there. You got to either you know let it uh, breathe for a second. You know, especially if the fire's in the basement, you, you can absolutely do that. It's going to take it a while to get up to it. But if it's in the next room, you know, what are you going to do? Your money just calls a flash up. So, but if you're, you're at a first in truck company there and there's no one there and someone screaming my kids inside, you got to decide what you're going to do. But that's also part of being an experienced search person. Like, right. you know, where, where's the fire? You know, whenever, when I was back on the ladder, I would always try to ask, you know, you know, is anyone in there? No, no one's in. Okay. Yes, they're in there. Where? Where's the fire at? Because that was also part of the Pac-Man's job. If you got there, you went and tried to find the fire for uh, the engine as well, if they weren't there yet. So th- those are questions that got, where is the fire? Do I need to go to the second floor window and vent and enter from there when I can go in through the front door? Then you can control it a little bit better there, right? Back to the flow path talk. No so worries. Just, yeah. That new stuff, that newfangled science flow path, where's the fire going to go? But it was always there. That science no, was know. always I, there. I hope you catch my sorry. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, we just gave it a name. All of a sudden, now there's a name like flow path. Then okay, right. they just called it. You know, hey man, if you open the door, the engine's not there. Shut the door because you're going to feed the fire air. Well, now it's now it's control the flow path. Which Whatever. I get it, man. Hey, sure. and, and the smarter we can educate everybody coming up together, I'm for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not knocking on it. It's just not brand new. Listen, man. Fires are down. You, you know, everywhere. So. You went through the academy, and a lot of times, you know, like in my fire academy, you had to throw to 35 with four men. I have never in my career had four people to throw a 35-foot ladder. Right. And I'm talking trolley wires there, Christmas lights hanging. You're, you're throwing a 35 with two, max, you know. Uh, and that's just how it goes. And they're like, you're going to get out there, and the guys are going to show you everything. Well, now, especially, you know, what we'll touch on later with lack of senior men, you know, you go to Philadelphia – all the old guys got in the drop program a couple of years ago. We had one day where we lost 200 guys. Yeah. So, you know, now your senior guy might have three years on. Then you're at a station that had seven fires last year. You know what I mean? Like, so now you have to get that education out there. You have to give those things names because you don't have some old dude sitting there with you like I had. Hey, man, look, watch how the fire rolls out the door. Now, I'll never forget. His name is Vince Waters. Lieutenant Vince Waters. We were first in truck. Heavy fire on the second floor of this uh, big three-story end-of-the-row apartment building. Our engine was out doing uh, boat training. We go in. They're like, hey, there's someone in this room. Pop the door. Heavy fire above us, but you can see everything below us. So there was no smoke, just fire. We do a quick search. Boom, 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 boom. No one's in there. A person got out. We get out, and he goes, all right, watch this, Jeff. Shut the door. And because the fire was rolling out in the hallway, I shut the door. And he's like, see how it stopped? He gave me a whole class as we're sitting there waiting for the engine to come from the next local over. And he's like, no, wow. open the door again. See how it's rolling out, rolling out. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Cool. Shut the door again. And now we'll just wait for the engine. And it was great. You know, you might not get that now. Right. Or now three or four months in between being able to have an opportunity to get that. Exactly. And if your senior guy isn't 
a good senior man. He's just got more time on. There's a difference between a senior oh, yeah. man and someone who kept their job for 20 years. You know what I mean? He might not show you that. And now you're up there by yourself trying to figure it out on your own. At least now there's research and there's a class on it. Like, hey, man, shut the door. And right. they're getting like some PowerPoints and stuff like that. No, so I'm, you, I'm good with that. No, I do love it. I I do. Uh, okay, first, uh, another question coming at you from the audience. John McCoy wants to know, if no door is present when you get in, are you calling for a line behind you through that window and continue searching, or what's your protocol in that scenario? Well, to me, a whole point of event under search is the, the ladder is there first. There is no engine. And we have that here in Philadelphia. Uh, right. Due to budget cuts and stuff, they closed some engines, and now it's just a truck company. So our protocol is you don't ventilate till there's an engine company there, unless there's someone trapped. So if you got to take that window and go in and do the search, they're probably going to do it. With that, but there's no line to be called to for. be called for. But right. we did recently. We just actually, which we should have had all along. Now we got cans, so you could take a can with you. And that, that I've seen that puts out a lot of fire. At least hold it at bay if you get yourself in trouble. So nice. But again, nice. if I'm taking a second floor window, that's that's how I look at a vent under search is by taking a second or third floor window, popping a door and going in because there's always a door. There's, you know, there's gonna be always a front door, at least a piece of wood you could just lay over the opening. You know, when I think of Ben and her search, I'm thinking of going up on a ladder, going through a window. You might not know if there's a door there or not. You might not be able to see it, but, right. you know, uh, but if they're saying there's a kid in there, you know, I'm going. It It is what it is. No, and that's the expectation. And and I love, I love the way you said it. Oh, but to, oh, I'm sorry to answer his question. If there is a line there, we have done that uh, multiple times. Just, hey, man, you know, we, we come as sock on a job where, how we run in Philadelphia, it's, uh, you get, if there's two and two in service, two edges, two ladders in service, you get a sock company. So let's say we show up a sock company. Hey, man, we need you guys to search the second or third floor of this place. We'll grab a line and do a search with a line. And you're saying it's sock, available. special operations? Special operations, yep. Okay, okay. Making sure I was on page. Yep. Keeping it clear. Hey, right there, John McCoy, thank you for a great question. Everybody in the audience, if you have good questions, especially for Squad 72, uh, get them in. Kyle said the problem is most departments are going to way more EMS than fire calls, so the line has been blurred. Back to the previous topic, and that is that is exactly what is going on as we blur the lines between fire first culture and EMS priorities. Absolutely. Um, that, that's so- all I've known here in Philadelphia. I mean, it was very heavy EMS. I mean, you know, you, you go to fires and it's great, but it's my third week out of the academy, I was dumped in an ambulance out in West Philly. And, man, what an eye-opener that was. I bet. Oh, my God. You got some stories. Uh, d- just driving in there, the story I can tell you. I don't know how PG this uh, podcast is. No, no, it's, oh, it's the Internet. You're safe with it, whatever you got. But uh, feel free. Uh, Chris Simpson said, The Everyone Goes Home mantra created a me-first safe environment. It was outcome-driven instead of process-driven, which allowed companies to have a mindset of a known outcome before the process was ever initiated. Separate process from outcome. When the operation is process-driven rather than outcome, there should be favorable results. Very technically spoken. So I wanted to read it out. I'm not sure I tracked everything about it. Yeah, that was a little fancy for me. It was fancy. Very well done. Okay, pulling up the notes. Coming at you with younger people making rank very quickly. 
especially with the turnover you had. So talk to me. Oh, man. So uh, a big thing, too. Now, there, we allow it in Philadelphia. In five years, you can take the t- You could be a lieutenant with five years on. I personally don't have a problem with that. Like, we allow it. Um, I won't do it. Obviously, I'm 17 years old. I'm still a firefighter. Uh, a lot of guys now, when I, and it's great that you're bringing up the EMS, they're doing it to get out of going into the ambulance because they hate it. I mean, you're out all day. You're doing, you know, on a day work, I'm not kidding, anywhere from like 15 runs. You know, I think Medic 8, that's in Kensington last year, did almost 12,000 runs that year. You know, it's, it's, so there, a lot of guys are getting made for the wrong reasons. Like if you're a lieutenant now, you don't go in the ambulance. Um, and they don't have experience. They're, they're right. at like slower companies, you know, and they're just not getting some of that experience. Now, again, I'm not necessarily against this as long as they continue to keep learning and know like, okay, hey, now I'm at a busy company. I'm in charge of these guys, all of them that have more time than me, even though I'm the highest ranking, I can still learn from these guys. I need to learn from these guys. I'm going to kind of, I'm here to push paperwork and answer the phone kind of guy. Then you'll be successful. You'll continue to learn. You'll have a good career. If you're like, hey, I'm the boss now, man, you're going to do what I have to say. And I've seen it. Uh, uh, I can't really say his name, but a, a guy I know goes to a company and he has a guy with like 30 years on it, like one of the busiest ladders in Philadelphia. And he's getting on this guy about the stupidest stuff, you know. And he said, you have a gold mine sitting right there that you could just sit there and pick his brain all day and learn how to be a better firefighter and an officer, a real officer. And you're, you're, you're breaking his balls because he doesn't have his T-shirt tucked in. Right. You know, you're trying to tell him I'm in charge. You know, you're going to do what I tell you. And this guy's a very humble man, too. So who's OK? OK. When he just needs to be sitting there and listening to this guy, you know, that's what I see sometimes, you know, not all the time. Um, right. There's exceptions. Oh, sure. I, and, you know, when I uh, I was asked to teach one of the fire classes a couple of years ago and it was me and two other guys from squad 72 and then two officers. Well, we had more time on by probably triple than the one officer who was running the uh, uh, young lieutenant. And he was great though. He was fantastic to work for. I did his dad. I love him. And he was just like, you know, he was supposed to do like a PowerPoint of vehicle extrication. He was like, you know what? I'm just going to let these guys do it. And I'm just going to sit here and listen. You know, he gave us that respect. And for that, we gave him nothing but respect, you know? Right. And I thought it was really cool. Like his, his name's Will. He came up and was like, how are you doing? I'm Will. As opposed to like, I'm Lieutenant. You know what I mean? Right. He was great. Right. But out of respect, I called him Lieutenant, you know, because I respected him. I expected, the, I respected the way he treated us and how he acted as an officer. Like, you know what? I don't know what I don't know. These guys have more experience and I'm going to utilize them and their experience. But some of the other guys, man, with uh, just no time, no experience. And then they don't, you can't tell them anything. And when they're wrong, it's even worse. Coming at you from Preston Lyons. He wants to know, how do you implement it? Believe me, not an easy question. How do you implement a more aggressive culture in a department that has a strong safety culture? See, my department to this day is very, very aggressive. Uh, I didn't have to implement anything. It was, I had to adjust, you know, especially coming on, not knowing anything and uh, going, I went to a very, very, very 
very slow ladder right out of the academy. I was there for about a year. And then I had to change when I went to Southwest to a fairly busy ladder. Uh, it, I honestly, uh, I, listen, man, I, I, I say this joking around, but I'm serious. Like I still, I still clean bathrooms, man. You know, I'm, I still sweep floors of the station. I'm a fireman. I, if you're a fireman too, and your chiefs have that as the rule, that's it's their department, man. It's, it's, it's going to be very hard to convince a boss when you're at the bottom of the totem pole, especially if you're new, it's different if you got 30 years on and you got someone's ear because, you know, you went to fire school with them and stuff like that. But when you're a new guy, it's something like that. You know, you could change the culture in the firehouse being new just by showing some pride. Culture, as far as rules and SOPs, man, that's that's got to come from the top down. No, I think I'm that's the time- best I can answer that one. No, no, you're good. I'm time. I'm writing a note so I can timestamp the the rant so I can use it later. <laughs> that's a good answer, brother. I just got to write my note for my own self. Preston, thank you for the question. Awesome yeah. question. And and it, there's no good answer for it. And and yeah, I think Jeff nailed it, especially when you said it. I still clean bathrooms and still sweep the floors, man. Yeah, that's you know I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the commissioner great. doesn't come to me and ask me my feelings on certain things. You know what I mean? It's uh, he don't even know my name probably. <laughs> Thank, and that's a good thing because normally you see when you're in trouble. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Eric Morgan, I'm on a volunteer department. Our chief maybe has 10 years on. We definitely move up fast here. I'm five years on and in my eyes have more passion than most have been told to expect moving up, even though I've argued that I'm not ready. So yeah, I think that's a, I think that's something going on, especially with the turnover. Like there's a lot of people feeling that way. Absolutely. And I mean, the, the, the one uh, thing you said there, you're volunteer, man. So if guys aren't signing up with tons of experience, then you got what you got. But you know, if you're not ready, that's great. Keep educating yourself is what I would say. You know, um, the big reason when I started teaching was because it made me better also, also doing it. You know, uh, I used to work for a company called MedTex and it was a confined space rescue company. They asked me to be one of the instructors to recertify guys. And all I did was just make rope systems all day, showing these guys and evaluate these guys. And it made me that much better in my ropes. So when I started teaching, you know, out like when I met Corley and everything, you know, if I'm doing a forced entry class, no matter how many times I've done it, you better believe I'm back in the books. I'm on YouTube. I'm always, and I do that anyway, just trying to find the best ways. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I was lucky enough to work with Chris Kelly, who's, you know, my main man. When I'm with him, I'm picking his brain. Like, hey, dude, right. like, what do you do? How does Houston do this? Right. You know, and then the guy, like the last class uh, when we were down in Arkansas, who brought the Brasky Trail or first use, he was sharp as hell. He was a firefighter in Lubbock, Texas, and he had some great points. I was like, dude, that's that's great. Tell me about that. You know, just continue your education and 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 do that your entire career. Never, never stop. Get in the books, but also look at the classes that are around you, you know, whatever they offer uh in your area, you know, jump on the engines class, ladder class, leadership classes, you know, if it's going to happen, you want to be ready, you know, and if you know it's going to happen, well, then you better be ready. No, oh, I love it, man. And, and I love being a forever student. That's, that's yep. just so, so powerful, man. 100%. Partly because you just don't want to look like an idiot. You know, that's, that's exactly. a, dri- a driving factor. There's nothing worse than like when you get that green piece of wood and you're showing a technique and that piece of wood will not give it up mm-hmm. and you're just forcing it. You're like, no, I swear to God, this works. Okay. Everybody just stand back. 
Uh, but, dude, you better believe when I was down there in Little Rock, I had my special wood that wasn't soaking set yeah. that aside for my demonstration. They, <laughs> <laughs> tips and tricks behind the, the wood, scenes. The, the wood they had, there was some monsters. This one guy was so big, he turned the entire prop. Right. Like a, yeah. And the wood was just oozing sap because yeah. it was just so fresh. And I'm like, bud, listen, you can do this because you're about to break the prop. Like it's right. the, the wood's not breaking. I don't know what to tell you. You know, so. Yeah. Take this home and bronze it because this is amazing. Exactly. Yep. Yes. All right. Uh, pushing back. Lots of comments coming in. I'm, I'm skipping a lot of comments here. Man, tons of comments. I hope they're good because I can't see them. You'll have to ca- you'll have to catch up because they scroll by so fast. It's hard for okay. me to get some of them. Uh, uh, ben Graff wants to know how can you change culture to prioritize the backstep as a position for leadership development. Like I said, no easy questions, brother. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> when you're talking backstep, so how my department really handles it, uh, the senior man, you know, when I taught the fire academy class, and this is how we started from ground up, um, I was in charge of a tool section, right? Showing guys saws, how to do knots, yada, yada, with the other guys. Our goal, and we were just firefighters. We we're not officers. So we went in there with the mentality from day one. We are going to like just brand it into these guys' heads about the senior man aspect. And I, we would every day, we had four different platoons of cadets. You know, it was like almost 100 guys. Primetime COVID, too. So this academy lasted almost a year. And I would just talk to them like, listen, man, you know, if you have a problem, if there's like fighting in the station, this and that, you take it to the men first, you take it to the senior man first. And one of the, you know, examples I give is like sitting watch at my, by the book. We still got to sit watch. Someone's always at the watch desk all day, all night, you know, no matter what. Wow. You're only supposed to do two hours. Well, that's squad 72 now. You sit. No one sits down there till midnight. You know, we're all hanging out in the kitchen together. You go down or you're sitting to about five in the morning, 12 to five. And like when I drive, I don't, I won't go in the bunk room at the firehouse. I stay awake. I iron man the first night you pull it. I just stay awake sitting at the watch desk. This way I'm ready to go because I'm driving. Right. And so dude, the reason I'm bringing it up, if like, so if someone had a problem with that, like, listen, I'm not, I don't want to sit five hours, you know, that's too much. I got little kids at home, whatever, you know, we don't have that problem, but whatever. All right. Well, you come to the senior man, you, you talk about it, you handle it amongst the men, and then a regular solution is, is going to happen. You know, if you go right to the officer and complain, he's going to open the book and say, here's the rules. That's what you do. Leave me alone. And, right. and that's it. So from the back step, you know, the best way to change that culture there for one is to keep it amongst the men on the back step. Keep the bosses out of it. If there's something going on with one of the firefighters that the rest of the firefighters don't like, well, those firefighters should talk about it with them, you know, and everyone's soft and sensitive now. So it may don't be too threatening or anything like that. But, you know, listen, man, you're messing up. You're not pulling your weight here. You need to make some changes or you're a dirt ball. You know, clean up after yourself. You know, that's how you start changing that culture because you keep it amongst yourselves. You keep the officers out. We always say here in Philadelphia, officer is just a guest in the station because they rotate in every four years. You get a new officer with the exception of the special operations. They stay. But so the senior man really runs the station as far as the men. And a really, really good officer respects that. He's there to answer the phone, you know, push the paperwork. But also, if he has to step in, if they can't handle it, if that station is so dysfunctional, hey, man, I'm the boss. 
this is what's going to happen now. And sometimes that does have to happen because the men just can't come to a conclusion. So that's the, you know, as for back step, I'm saying firemen only handle it amongst the firemen, make the change yourself and lead by example. If you want something different, if you want to change the culture, you better be doing it every day yourself. Like the tools are dirty Boom. and this and that, then you better come in and clean those frigging tools every day. If they're, it's it. Don't sit there and say these tools are nasty and rusty and then not do shit about it. Lead from the front. Beautiful. Hold on one second. No. And it's a beautiful segue into senior man because like you said, man, they handle it at the lowest level and don't involve, don't basically don't let the officer have to be an officer. Don't exactly. Put him in a position. And I love that. So what, where is the disconnect? Is it, is it just uh generational? Is it, is it a shift in values? What, what is it? The youth were higher. I, I, where has the where's the pride? Is it a lack of expectation for senior man? I'm putting so much at you right now yeah, out of my right. own brain. But, I got an answer ready, baby. Okay, let's hear it. I want to hear about the senior man, the the dilemma of the senior man. Go. Well, for one, you know whose fault it is? Our generation, clearly, because we all of a sudden we're the soft ones. So no one was nice to me when I got old. I mean, people were nice, but like the old guys that were in their sixties and all that, man, they were mean, rough, tough dudes, man. And, you know, I was always taught by my father, shut up and listen, you know, don't give them a hard time, listen to what they have to say. And, you know, I said this on the other thing the other day, these guys were badasses anyway, so even if I had a problem with it, they could still kick my ass. So uh, it was a lose-lose. I didn't really have a choice. All of a sudden, you know, you got to understand something. Like the people my age, you know, I'm 44 or 50, they're now running the show and they're allowing the crybaby stuff to happen. That's who I blame. So if you keep allowing it, someone's like, listen, man, so-and-so, you know, was mean to me because I hit a tree with the fire truck. You, well, you, you allowed it. And then you're letting him get away with something like, you know, you, you start relaxing standards, you know, and like any fireman, you give an inch, we take a mile, man. You know, uh, just some, some of the uniform stuff that happens here in Philly now, man, there's guys, you know, my, my neighbor across the streets of fireman. And one day I handed him a dollar at Wawa. And he's like, what's this for? And I was like, I'm sorry, dude. I thought you were a homeless dude across, you know, begging for money outside. Like, that's how you're going to work, dude. You look like a bum. You know what I mean? And But because our generation, the bosses at the top uh, allow it to happen. So the younger generation is going to see that. The example that we're setting. And then, of course, they're going to have an attitude if someone tries to tell them they can't, right? Now, the academy class I told, too, there were some studs in it. There were some kids that got it. You know, not even some, there was like, I'd say 75% were aces, you know, it's still a small majority, but when you let that small majority walk all over and do whatever they want, the majority starts saying, wait a minute, what, what am I doing then? Why am I towing the line? And like the dumbest guy on the truck's getting away with murder, you know? And I would always say, you know, uh, in the department, the better you are, the more likely you are to get yelled at. So the chief knows that he can rely on you and you're always in there doing it, doing your job, doing your job. When you make a mistake and let that guy down, he's going to give you a hard time because he knows you're not going to run the human resources and cry when he, you know, motherfucks you and screams at you and all that stuff. Like, you know, you messed up. I expect more of you. Da, da, da. The guys that always mess up, always, every single job, not doing what they're supposed to do, not what they're supposed to be, not getting water. Well, that's just them. They, they're always like that. And they just start expecting nothing from it and getting nothing from it, but there's just no outcome. 
So now when the good people start making make a mistake and they get hammered, they're kind of like, well, wait a minute, man, what's going on here? That's how things start going downhill, I think. You know, you no, don't always need a pat you, on the back, but when you're when you're the worker and you're getting the shit end of the stick every day, it's kind of, you know, people are like, wait a minute, we got to pump the brakes here. What's going on? Cause and effect. 100%. Right, right. But I blame our generation for being, and, you know, I see it with my own son, you know, when I was 11, you know, I was jumping off a railroad bridge in New Jersey. I was in a different state, you know, right on my bike. I, I, my kid don't even go around a block right now, you know, and it's partially my fault. No, no. We're going to get hit by a car, you know. No, helicopter. Like no, I do. We, we disappeared at, at yeah. whatever time we got up and showed back up at home at sunset with our BMXs. Yeah. But yeah. nowadays, man, I know where my kid's at 24%. Exactly, man. Yeah. 1,000%. Before my dad died, I was having a conversation with him. You know, we're having a few beers at the bar. And he's like, oh, yeah, man, you know, it's tough being a parent. You know, with kids at that age. I was like, dude, you kicked me out of the house, and I was gone for 15 hours. Like, what are you talking about? I wasn't allowed. I had to drink out of the hose if I was thirsty. You know what I mean? Like, I'm driving my kid to nine different things in one day now. Like, you were like, yo, dude, take the bus. See ya. Right. You know, so I don't know what it changed when it, you know, what happened to us. But, you know, I think uh, the softer generation is due to softer parents. No, that's a tough one to, to look in the mirror and say, oh, it's my fault. Yeah. But it, it, it's kind of hard not to uh, say, how did we get here when yeah. I'm 26 years in, you're 25 years in, yeah. and we look back and say, why are we where we're at? Well, but look who's calling the shots, though. Someone with a little bit more time than us, maybe, right? Or maybe even a little bit less. That's but they're around the same age, right? Right. They're calling the shots, so they're the ones allowing it. Yeah. It all starts from the stuff like that. Like I said, it start that stuff starts from the top and works its way down. Shackleford John said, uh, "Look oh, how you man. turned out. Look how you turned out." Yeah. So <laughs> pops pops had something going on, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Shackleford, good man. There, I talked to him and Ryan McCormick probably more than I talked to the guys I grew up with. Now it's hilarious. And John's That's- in Indiana. And Ryan's in Arkansas, and I talk to these dudes probably once a week. Dude, two of the best, man. Oh, Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. Uh, let me pull up the notes. Making sure I'm not missing any any questions from the screen. All right. John McCoy coming at you one more time out of Virginia, South uh, West Virginia. Uh, let me know, John. John, Virginia or West Virginia, because my geography is terrible. Can you speak about the fire? that you feel like stands out in your head that sticks with you or that you learn the most from on scene. So a single fire that sticks out the most for you. Uh, it, for me, it's gotta be my first one. Um, I actually have a picture of my face on it. that some, some like fire buff took. Uh, it was literally, it was 2006, like December, my first couple months at the Academy. It was ridiculously cold. I mean, ungodly, like covered in ice. Uh, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, eight years, federal fireman, you know, they trained the guys where they were great. And the thing when I was a federal fireman, I just want to say this. I didn't get to say this last time. A lot of these guys volunteered in like PG County, stuff like that. Places got work, man. These dudes knew what the hell they were doing. I did not. You know, I was like, a, all I cared about was lifting weights and getting on and filling. You know what I mean? I did my training and stuff like that, but we just, you didn't fight fire. It just wasn't there. I come to Philadelphia, you know, I was born and raised. I, I, I only left Philadelphia when I joined the Air Force, but, uh, get on finally and just, man, I'm like, I'm going to kick this job's ass. You know what I mean? I know what I'm doing. I got eight years experience as a firefighter, lift every day. My first fire, I 
actually thought I wasn't cut out for this. Oh, wow. I've never been so tired in my life because, and you know, uh, doing, I had no clue what I was doing. Everything in the Academy was out of my head. It, we were first in ladder and it went for five alarms, but Ooh. it was a giant, uh, nightclub that was like illegally boarded up and everything was just sealed up super tight. The second we opened it up, it took off and that was it. A lot of water problems, a lot of frozen, frozen hydrants. It was just ungodly cold that day. Uh, I did everything wrong. And there was this chief there and he actually helped me out a lot in my career. But after the job, he was like, kid, you absolutely suck. <laughs> and I mean, I was Mr. Like rookie, do everything at the station too. You know what I mean? I'm cleaning the tools. You know, I was, I was crushed. I was just, I was so embarrassed, crushed. And, uh, but he was like, listen, he's laughing. He's like, you're supposed to suck, dude. You're brand new. What you expect? You're going to come in here, you know? And that made me feel a lot better. Right. But I mean, I'm taking these windows out on this job. The first time I'm ever eating smoke. And it's, you know, it was big factory glass pane windows, taking that out. Then it's drywall. Got to go through the drywall. Then it was plywood. Then it had more drywall because they wanted to soundproof this place. Just one window, I was smoked. Then eating smoke for the first time, like real job smoke. Right. And right. I'm like, and I'm watching all these other dudes, 50 year old men, 65 year old men. Working circles around me, man. And I'm just like, dude, I've got, it, what's up with me, dude? You know, what, what's going on? I, I might not be cut out for this if these dudes are this good and I'm this bad. Right. And I, like I said, this stupid shit I had in my pockets. Then my pockets froze, so I couldn't take it out. Like my traps were so sore the next day just because I had like all kinds of tool, like shit. I, it, never again, dude. I'm built for speed now, baby. I don't let, me care. Let, 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 let me let me dig in on that. How, what, what, what were you carrying in your pockets? That's, I mean, this is 20 years ago, so. Yeah. Oh, dude, I had, like, big thing of Allen keys with, like, 9 to one screwdriver. I had, like, an adjustable wrench. I had, like, four different knives. I had and nothing of value, like, that I carry now for, like, actual save my ass or someone else's, you know? I, I had friggin' glow sticks. Like, four glow sticks. Yeah, like, an extra hood, extra pair of gloves. It, I mean, just out of control. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't even tell you, like, winter hat, you know, just, yeah, all that stuff. I'm in a dead of winter now. I'm in a t shirt under my gear every time. You will never see me with a sweatshirt on under my gear, you know, and I carry wire cutters, I carry webbing, I carry an Anderson strap, uh, and some door chocks. That's, that's really it. Anything else we need, like, for an alarm system, all we got a little bag on the truck that we take off the truck. Everything else, you know what I mean? It's to save me or someone else. Oh, uh, yeah, a couple of steel wedge for forced entry. That's all I carry now, man. But no, yeah. So like that, you said, I like the way you said it. Built for speed, one hundred percent. Love it. Shackleford's coming at you again. Uh, John Shackleford said, "Can you fix a guy that is a twenty-year guy but doesn't act like a senior guy?" Absolutely. If you, uh, it, it's all on how you go about it. Like I said, there's a difference between being a senior man and keeping your job for 20 years. You know, uh, have your younger guy show him up, you know, go out for training. And when he's like, you know, when he's not performing, like, yo, man, you're supposed to know, you're supposed to notice stuff. You're supposed to be showing these guys and this one year guy just ran circles around you. But there's also a thing too where you can't shame the shameless. If the guy just flat out doesn't care, I got 20 years on to being a bum. I'm going to be a bum. And we got guys like that here in Philadelphia. You cannot shame them. 
And you better believe they're the number one person in line asking for that free cup of coffee because they're a fireman. So they wear their T-shirt everywhere, looking for everything for free. You know, they're 80 pounds overweight. And, uh, you know, you can absolutely do it, but that person has to have that open mind. They, they got to want to change. If the guy's just like, no, I'm, I get paid this, you know, and I've heard it. I get paid the same as you. You know, you go to all these fires every year. I, I, I don't go to any, and we get paid exactly the same. And that guy was more than happy to say that to us. Okay. And I'll probably die of cancer and he won't. But I wouldn't have it any other way either. Right on. Dude, I love, yeah. No. Uh, Sorry, I'm catching up, catching up, catching up, grabbing comments, pulling up the notes. Boom, boom. There we are. Lack of continuing education provided by departments. Yeah. Hit me with where you're coming from on this. Uh, What's your expectation? Where should, where, where should we be aiming for? Honestly, man, I, I would really appreciate like, uh, you know, here in Philly, if we got just, you know, we're, we're expected to train, especially the sock companies, we're expected to train on our own every day, which is fine. You know, you can only do so much stuff at the firehouse or out like, you know, we're out there cutting Jersey barriers that are just laying out, you know, out in the fields of Logan, as we say, you know, I would love, uh, it'd be nice if, you know, the department provided cars so you could do more vehicle extra training, vehicle extrication training, excuse me. You know what I mean? Guys all have to go out on their own here in Philadelphia. Like every ladder has hydraulics. They provide us with great equipment, but when you get them, yeah, you might get a car to cut up, but then you're never getting another one to train on. It might take years. You get lucky. And I understand, you know, it's a fiscal thing, but that's stuff we got to know, man, especially now when these cars are constantly evolving. You know, the last vehicle extrication training I got here in this, from the city of Philadelphia, it's, it's completely different now. Completely different. You know, guys aren't doing relief cuts no more. You know what I mean? They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And it's kicking ass. And it's like, man, if someone's not really doing this research on their own, you're not going to know that. You're going to be wasting a lot of time doing like a relief cut here, relief cut there, just to lift the dash when you don't have to. When that right. person's pinned, you know, you could save a couple minutes, right? You know, different ways to do door pops, different ways to do, you know, whole vehicle side removals. Uh they don't push that. I and it's tough, man, because then people get complacent. Right. And when you bring something like that up, especially me at a firefighter level, now well, now you're a know-it-all. Now you're an asshole. You're a pain in the ass. You know this friggin' dude. You know, and especially, uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not the senior guy in my platoon. You know what I mean? I'm I'm like third in line. And then in the station, I'm not even close, man. We, we got a lot of experience at my station, you know, uh, and I'm just talking everywhere too, you know, then you, you take an aggressive new guy, for example, and he goes to the station with complacent older guys and he wants to push for this stuff. Like, dude, shut up, dude. I want to take a nap after lunch. We ain't going out, you know, like that kind of shit. Right. You start right. getting used to that. If you're doing that for 10 years, now all of a sudden, hey, every day we're going out and training for four hours. Those guys are going to be like, man, what the hell? They're going to be pissed off. Don't make it right. You know, so it gets very difficult. And uh, at the same time, coming out the other side of the mouth, a few times I got bitched at for taking training on my own for going away. And uh, I remember me and my partner, Gabe uh, went to um, Hazleton to do blue collar training networks, heavy lifting class. And, and back to those awesome cadets, one of the cadets in the class, this kid was an absolute stud still is he's the one that told me about the training. 
I went up and hung, you know, went to his, you know what I mean? He was like, Hey, right. he's, I'm from this town. He lives in Philly now. He's like, I'm from this town. And I used to volley there. They're coming, they're coming there. And I was like, dude, can I, can I come? And we went, guys like, Oh, you know, you spent $350 for that class. And I'm like, yeah, oh, we can't get that here. No one's providing us tractor trailers to lift. Right. And the techniques, I mean, the stuff that we learned in that class, that was, I'm telling you, that was one of the best, best classes I ever took. Nice. It was worth every penny, you know? So let me, let me dig into it a little bit because here's the dichotomy of what, I, as I see it, like you're talking about, you're talking about quality, quality reps provided by the department is what you're really saying. Because the thing that I get in, in, or let me say, not I get, I don't want to make it about me, but the thing I see most often is EMS refreshers and hazmat refreshers. And you hit the nail on the head. It's always about, you'll go, we'll go to the Academy. Well, they stopped doing it now because we have the computer program. Right. You'll be up the Academy three times a year doing EMS stuff, but you wouldn't go up and pull hose. Right. But, and let me just clarify though, Philly has implemented a uh, training department and all you got to do is call them up now and say, Hey man, we would like to come up the Academy. We'll go out of service for four hours and do some type of training, and they arrange that. Oh, so wow. we are coming that way and they, progressing. Yep. And uh, Eric Allen uh, from Fastboard. Yeah, Fastboard. Yep. He uh, was doing that a little bit. When I was coming back from my bicep surgery, I was helping out with that. I would do like a forced entry class. But the officers of a company have to ask for that. So if you get a crew of go getters, like there was this one company up there, uh, it was actually a buddy of mine, uh, Captain Mike Strimmel. He just kept calling. Hey, man, can we come back up? Can we come back up? And they're like, if you call, you get first priority. So, yeah, come up. Do whatever class you want, and we'll make sure you know we can accommodate it. So if they're not doing that, then they have to wait and go down and say, okay, now it's this person's turn. Now it's this person's sure. turn. And, you know, so it all depends on the aggression of that company as well. And then being like a young, aggressive firefighter, you know, they might feel timid. To go ask, and then they're auto oh, crews all mad, especially like the busier areas. You know, I said fires are down, but they're you know we're still getting fires. You know, they don't want to miss a job. That's right. Another thing it comes down to, like yo man, I don't go up there and force doors. You know, when we could stay here and f- catch a job and force a real door. And you know, I get it. Like we're we're guilty of it too at seventy twos, man. But you know, sometimes it's it's necessary, man. Love it, man. I love the I love the mentality of it. And 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 that really comes down to own what you can own, and take control of what you can control. Yeah, exactly, man. And I, I that's something I struggle with all the time. Believe me, I, uh, dude, every day, every uh, day. I, that was a big reason why I I, 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 I like control my temper. You know, I, I'm very weak with that at times, and it's always over stuff I can't control, man. Like cars not getting out of the way, people double parking, you know, in front of the station drives me insane. But, you know, you, you start yelling at him, you know, next thing you'll get a gun pulled on you. Like, we don't have a parking lot. They're always smashing our windows or slashing our tires. So when I got into it with the guy the other day, you know, everyone's looking at me like, yo, dude, man, now they're going to, you know, start messing with our cars again. I'm like, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, and that's a big weakness I have is my temper. And I got at some point, you know, probably when I'm dying, I'm going to realize that at no point has anything good ever come out of me losing my time being in, emotional in 44 years man not not once not once no i feel that i struggle with the whole being right and being effective yeah you know like i'm right damn it but i'm not being effective right now yeah and, and when i can put it in that frame of reference i can usually be like okay calm down you're not being yeah. effective let's be effective so 
for what it's worth, I struggle with it massively. Um, I love asking this question. <clears throat> Book or books that you think firefighters should be reading? Uh, I'm not going to go into the educational aspect of this because you should continue to read educational on your own without someone telling you. I'm going to go in the more, you know, for pleasure. Okay. Um, okay. Report from Engine Company 82. Um, I actually read that book. Uh, and trust me, dude, I am not a New York buff by any means. You know what I mean? Uh, but that is a very good book. Uh, I, I like how he breaks down just life in the firehouse. You know, whenever I would like be going through something or, you know, I, I, I would read that book and it almost reignites my love for the job. Yeah. You know, I, I, I finish it and I'm like, you know, I can't wait to get back to work and be with those animals. You know what I mean? Dennis Smith. Meaning, captured- meaning the guys I work with, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. Dennis Smith captured the American fire service. It's p- 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 as I S it out specifically in that novel better. I mean, or, or that journal, whatever you want to call it better than anything. So, and yep. And then the other book uh, was um, out of here in Philadelphia. It's called a fireman's journal. From Chief Mark uh, Casello, uh, who I've never met. I'm just thinking I'm probably saying his name wrong, too. But uh, it's called A Fireman's Journal. And very, Cicello? very... Mark, yeah, Mark Casello. I'm trying to write like, it down. Okay. Yeah. It's called A Fireman's Journal. And it's back, man, when, you know, Philly was, you know, getting... A, like every major city at that time, you know, every city, every place in America probably was getting way more fires than they ever will now. Uh, but he's very, very humble about it. You know, he even says in the beginning, like I wasn't even at the busiest companies of Philadelphia and he makes fun of himself a lot in there. And, uh, it's just, it's a good, it's funny, you know, and, uh, same thing, man, you know, you, you just look back and it just makes you like, man, that's this job's the shit, man. Like, you know, <laughs> I wish I was on in the seventies and, you know, all that time, right. I wish, you know what I mean? I think I was born in the wrong, uh, error, but like it, it, it's good, man. It's just it's when it hits home, and I I do like you know I enjoy that it's from Philadelphia because not many people from Philly wrote books, right? And they should have. Is that one available? Like, can you find that one on like Amazon? Oh yeah, or stuff? I think you get it on Amazon. Yeah, okay, okay, not, cool. He's actually on Facebook. You might be able to order it from there. No, that's great. I just never heard of it, so that's why he I actually asked. follows you. Awesome, man! I did yeah. not know. All right, I was looking to see friends in common today, just to nice. see and uh. He he follows you, so no, I want to read it now, especially yeah. sp- specific. My S's are kicking my ass, and and Romagus is making fun of me. Preston Preston actually posted it in the chat. I did not block links today, so you guys can link whatever you feel like. Obviously, yeah, that was a good book. And uh, 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 so some of the guys' names that he mentioned there, I know, and they're still in the job. Awesome, uh, Joshua he- Everett's. Uh, he posted Preston Lyons posted it just above you. You can click the link and see the author. Uh, I don't want to Marciello. March Marticello. Marticello. I'm yeah. Man, I'm I'm mispronouncing it off of Eckert's mispronunciation. Yes. So yes. <laughs> you get the, the telephone game. What it's called, I believe it's a fireman's journal. That was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was a it was a quick read and it was just it, was, it has some funny stuff, man, You know, but the good thing too, it's it's his journal. It's not like written by like some like over the top like guy takes twenty minutes describing a tree in the book. You know what I mean? It's right. just you know, hey, I was here today. Here's what we did. You know, pretty straightforward read. It was good. Nice. Okay. We have a thing we do. Every scrap, for a lot of scraps now, uh, it's called the five questions for firefighters. 
of course, it progressed and they evolved. And now they're the next five. You're on the tail end of the next five questions for firefighters. So my question for you, are uh, the questions, there's no right answer. It's completely your opinion. And the points are arbitrary assigned by me with the aid and help of the uh, audience. So my question for you is, are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? Yes. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and a top-tier go-to badass firefighter? Passion. If you absolutely love this job, you will have an amazing career. You're you're into the job. You know, uh, the best guys on the job are, you know, what everyone calls whackers. You know what I mean? They're, I haven't met a guy that's so into this job that sucks at it, you know? And other people will make fun of him and this and that, you know, blah, 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 this guy's a whacker. He's over the top. This and that. But guess what, man? When he's on that fire ground, they're like, he's a stud. John Shackelford said one million points. I don't know whacker, what Max John, is. John, you whacker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what one million is in relation to Max, but passion is absolutely a Max points answer, especially when you articulate why the passion is important. And John Bishop said, passion is always a max points answer. Passion greater than everything from John McCoy. Kevin Fluger said, passion with four fire emojis. So 100%, not just me, but the audience agrees. You have max points on question number one. Number two, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Talk less. And uh, listen more. And I am still extremely guilty of talking too much. You get a couple cup of uh, cups of coffee in me, and I'll get on my friggin' soapbox. And uh, there's times I'm just like, damn, I talk way too much. At least I know it, you know. Uh, but yeah, talk I less. love the dude. I love the answer. If I if I went back in time and gave myself that, I, it would probably be that, which is shut up. Yeah. And listen to all the wisdom around you. You don't, because here's the deal. I used to think I was the smartest person all the time. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I, it took, it took a lot of growing up to figure out that wasn't quite true. Like I always got it. You know, I always got the job. Like, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. You know, I I played the new guy role to a T. uh, But, you know, once I started getting a little bit of credit for that stuff, you know, and people like, you know, you just, you kind of, swagger a little bit more than you should and uh especially towards uh leaving ladder four we had a couple officers there that were legends man like i mean got on in the mid 70s and it it was their last stop and i uh i didn't know i guess enough about firefighting at the time to even ask questions like i should Right. You know, but man, I wish I could have sat there and actually picked their brains a little bit more on like, you know, hey, I had to wait till I made a mistake, which every job I made, I made a mistake. And, uh, this guy, Kelvin, his name was Kelvin Fong, man. He retired with like 45 years on. He never told you good job ever, ever told you good job, but he damn sure let you know when you messed up. And, uh, he damn sure let me know quite a bit. But the, the one thing I'll never forget, and I'll always try to relate to people is that he's like, you're messing up because, trying he's like it's not like you're outside hiding he's like you're always in there Mm. you know you're you're messing up by being overly aggressive and i can work with that nice dude i love it i love it max points two for two 
Number three, what is your favorite training drill? Uh, I'd probably say vehicle extrication. I, I enjoy ruining stuff, you know, when you have uh, it in a controlled manner, you know, vehicle extrication, because it's, it's a puzzle. It's just a puzzle you take apart as opposed to putting back together. You know, uh, I really enjoy when uh, you get like good instructors that make it complicated. It's not just some simple door pop. It's like, you know, a car on top of a Jersey barrier. You know what I mean? Like, ha- what do you do now? You know, I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy trying to figure out the trickier stuff. Just outside the box, outside the norm. Yeah. I mean, you could throw ladders any day, every day. You know what I mean? It's easy. You can do that outside the firehouse. You know, it's not every day, you know, when you get like a, when you're, when you're going to a good vehicle extrication class or something like that, you know, you don't, who wants just the door pop? Nobody, you know, like you want to throw me the tricky stuff, man. That's, uh, you know, we get that stuff. I'm all in, you know, I, I'll make sure I'm not off that day. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my favorite training, probably vehicle extrication. Love it. Love it, man. Uh, pulling it back up. Number three, number four, what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? Oh man, I, I'm still making big mistakes, dude. But, uh, <laughs> I got, again, I got to go back to, uh, losing your temper. <laughs> Nothing good ever, ever comes from it. Now I'll kind of leave it at that. Just, uh, losing my temper, uh, whether it's on a fire or at the station or driving the fire truck or even, even at home, you know, but, uh, for the job, losing my temper. Dude, I've learned, okay. uh, keep that shit bottled up. Dude, what, I, I identify with that so much because I have never had a good outcome when I have, when I have let emotions drive my decision-making. Yeah. Like period. I don't care what insert, not even fire ground, just life. So to me, you just punch me in the gut. And so max points on number four, number five, heavy fire, searchable space. Now I'm asking a squad guy who wrote a lot of ladders, apparently. So I'm asking this, but heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Oh, I say that's a tricky one. You know, <laughs> is there someone actually in there? Do you come out like looking like, you know, like the man with a body? Heavy fire, looking- searchable yeah. space. Definitely put me on the tip, dude. I'm not, I'm putting the fire out there. Okay. Okay. I was not expecting that. I really was. I, uh, you know, I'll tell you what. I loved the ladder and I loved being Pac-Man on the ladder because that's forced entry and that's searching for victims, you know? And, uh, till I got to the engine, man, like squad was my first engine. And, okay. uh, I, I wouldn't go back to a ladder now after being on an engine. If I, for some reason, had to leave the special operations and just go to an engine or ladder, I'd, I'd stay on an engine. The fellows here are super aggressive. It's, it's, you're out the door a little bit more. You know, it's, uh, you get to drive a lot more, 50 miles an hour through the city trying to beat the other company or having them beat so they don't beat you. Right. It's, it's exciting. So yeah, give me the tip. Love it, dude. I love the answer, man. Absolutely love the smoothbore cartel said, my man with all (laughs) caps. No, and that's the thing. If 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 I actually changed the question and said there's a known victim, then then, then it goes out the window. Yeah, it's not I hear, a, yeah, it's no, not a question. Hear, yeah. So it just has to be heavy fire, searchable space. Yeah, so I I, mean, ultimately, there's no wrong answer. I just want to hear the sure. reasoning behind it. And sure. I absolutely love the reasoning behind your answer, which yes. makes it max points on number five. And there you have it. Five 
questions for firefighters according to Jeff Ecker. Squad 72, Philadelphia, which officially makes it 100. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. 94 scraps in the books. Brother. Nice, man. Congratulations. That's crazy to me. Just to say it out loud is crazy. What an amazing evening, man. If someone wants to get a hold of you, talk to you about your training company, uh, talk to you about whatever you talked about tonight in general, uh, get life advice. How do they do so? Uh, they can email me at uh, me or Gabe. We have this, you know, obviously co-owner of the company, Gabe Salas at Squad 72, and he's actually my senior man. Uh, uh, Philly 10, just Philly, T-I-N, at Gmail. Uh, we have our Instagram page, which is Philly underscore 10 underscore helmet underscore training on Instagram. And then on Facebook as well, just Philly 10 helmet training. You can message us there. Uh, our phone numbers are up on the website. Nice. So we're always available. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we got into this because we loved it, man. You know, we were just doing our both out on the road training, working for other people. And we're like, man, we, let's just start our own thing. And a little throwback to the old 10 helmets that we used to wear. So right on. that's why that's that. People ask us, so how would you come up with that name? Well, here in Philly, a lot of people don't notice. We used to wear tin helmets. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know where oh, Philly yeah. tin came from. It sounded cool. I didn't know if it was a tin, like Taylor's tins type deal on the front. No. You know what I'm saying? Nope. I actually have one. And uh, the guys from Ladder 4, when when you transfer out of a company to get you a gift. And these guys right. had a Ladder 4 tin helmet made for me. That's badass, uh, bro. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's it's one of my prized possessions. I don't have a lot of fire paraf- you know, like paraphernalia around here. But I have that, and that's literally one of my prized possessions. I this love is that. my yeah. ignorance. What was the heat conduction on like that tin? You know, saying probably like, not good. <laughs> <laughs> it goes I don't back know, to, man. It goes if back you, to the. Go ahead. Now, if you read uh, Chief uh, Marcello's book, there's this story in there when they switch because we wear those plastic ones now that everyone right. that we're known for. When they switched, uh, it, it's pretty funny. I don't. I don't want to ruin it for the guys, but. Uh, he was one of the first people to get one of those plastic helmets. And this, this story is great back in gotcha. like the seventies. But yeah, uh, there's actually a book on that called, uh, 10 helmet, 10 helmets, iron men. And mm. it's one of them, you know, big books with lots of pictures of the Philadelphia fire department. There's that one. There's another one called hike out, which are like the only real books besides uh, hike out, hike out. Yeah. H I K E hike out. Hike out. Okay. Yep. That's they're both based on the department, not so much like a story like the chief's book. Right on, man. But they're cool. They're big. Every station has them. If you ever go to any firehouse, that'll just be. You ever come to visit me? I'll. Sh- it's we have it in our firehouse. Okay. Slip through it. Sweet so. man. No, I love it. And I, I, what I was going to say about the tin helmet and the heat conduction, it goes back to we were kind of in the same conditions as the victim, and so that's where the tactics were based upon back in the day. Yeah. Oh you yeah. Know? They just got as low as they could and crawled in. Yeah. I mean, face down. You know what I mean? They didn't yeah. have hoods. You know, it has flaps in it. But that's it, man. Like it's just straight tin. Other than that, like off the show, it's it's cool as hell uh, looking, you know. And it was all refurbished and all. But like I put it on, like man, this thing would be cooking. So yeah, <laughs> I got one more comment to read to you, which comes from your buddy John Shackleford said you can find his number on most men's bathrooms on the <laughs> East Coast. So there you go, John. It's all all men's bathrooms, dude. I don't do nothing half ass. Not most. All. <laughs> all. <laughs> I love it. Uh, go to firehousevigilance.com. Uh, there you can sign up to be a member of the Vigilantes. It's five bucks a month or 60 bucks for an entire year. Uh, we've had two stellar planned vigilante meetups. We had one at FDIC up in Indianapolis. We just had one down at COBC in Pensacola down in Florida. It was an amazing time. We plan to have more of them. We do forums every, uh, we're trying to do them every month and they're pretty much staying on schedule. We bring in a subject matter expert and they talk and we have discussions very laid back, uh, fun times. 
uh, that's just besides all the bonus exclusive swag, exclusive content. So check it out, firehousevigilance.com. And the scraps and the killer lineup of 2023 continues tonight. Jeff Eckert absolutely crushing it. It continues next week as we head to Florida. JJ Cassetta coming on. And then following that, staying in Florida, Mike Salzano. Uh, so it's just an amazing time uh, for the scrap. Just just keeps on crushing. Thank you, my friend, Jeff Eckert, for being the guest this evening. I appreciate you, brother. Look forward to hanging with you down in Arkansas in September, right? Yes. If you drinks a few months away, and we'll have a good time. You got it, uh, man. Can't wait. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. That was it. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. No, audience, as always, you make it magical. I appreciate you taking the time to spend it with us, with Kyle, with Jeff, Sam in the background, making sure everything works. Uh, I love you all. You guys make the scrap magical. I hope the tones stay silent unless it is burning. Everybody, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.